Hey everyone, welcome back to But Why the Podcast, the podcast where every week myself, Adrian, and Matt talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? I want to thank you all for being super, super patient with us. It has been a rough month of moving and real life things, but we're back now and thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for listening. And if you want to support the show a little more, head on over to patreon.com slash but why though PC. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to But Why Did the Podcast, and today we are talking about one of the most iconic people in comics, and that is Stan Lee. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And a special guest, Lizzie. Hello. Lizzie, you want to tell people who you are? Yeah, I'm an editor and social media manager for But Why Though. And I named my cat Spider-Man, so I'm qualified to be here. As you were for the Steve Ditko episode, which you should also <laughs> go listen to, which is really, really sad to think about because we lost I know. the two creators of Spider-Man this year. So we are going to start off with a question. And before we get started, we do want to say that this episode is in, you know, in honor, remembrance. Uh, Stanley passed away really, really recently. Um, and I apologize for any of the audio, audio quality on this episode. We are still kind of in the process of a move as in I'm recording from a closet right now on a laptop. So apologies for that. And there is a disclaimer in that Stanley led a life that was 95 years long and did so many things. So we're not going to get to everything this episode. That being said, if you have a favorite Stanley moment that we don't mention at us, let us know at ButWhyTheOPC on Twitter, and we can talk about it together. So, everybody, what do you think about when you think about Stan Lee? Adrian? Uh, for me, I mean, when I was reading the question, I mean, I think I immediately think about Spider-Man, um, just because I think that's like, I mean, when we talk, we've talked about it multiple times in our Spider-Man episode, he's one of the most iconic superheroes there is, and that's what my mind immediately goes to, mainly because I played so many of the games when I was a kid. Um, but I think the, th the second thing, just kind of overarching, is just like good times. Like I just have so many good memories of Marvel in general that wouldn't really happen without Stanley. Um, controversial takes or not, um, even things like who wants to be a superhero. I don't know if you guys remember that stupid show. I don't. I didn't think it was going to be in this episode, but I really, really liked who wants to be a superhero. I loved who wants to be a superhero. It was, I did. I it was terrible. funny and stupid and totally unnecessary, but I I loved it. It was that. great because I wanted to be on that show. Yeah, that me show too. was terrible. Me too. It um, was good. So the first season was like okay, but the second season is awful. So that makes it just terrible. Oh my god, Matt. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it, so I don't <laughs> care what you think. This is Matt. Adrian's answer. <laughs> yeah, Matt, it's not your turn yet. My yeah. bad. Uh, yeah, so I just think it's just like happy times. You know, I don't really have negative memories when I'm thinking about Stanley. 
Matt. Oh, am I allowed time to talk now? Yes, that's how this works. Is it? Um, I guess I'm kind of along the same lines of like Adrian, at least with the Spider-Man thing, because obviously everybody knows he's been the flagship flagship of Marvel for the longest time, and probably and basically the most popular superhero numbers wise for like ever. Um, I guess also just I guess Marvel in general, which I guess we'll talk about some of the other characters, but I guess just all the between the cameos from the MCU stuff for a long time ago, and just even before then, all the games and everything that. Uh, they had when they actually produced video games. There was no salt in that in that sentence at all. There should be a lot of salt. Like that is the one <laughs> thing out of all the stuff that like comics has gotten popular in like in pop culture and everything. The fact that video games is so lacking in that is kind of disappointing. Didn't didn't they just have uh, this Spider-Man was game? this one Spider Man the game that came out that was amazing apparently? Do you remember when they had an Arkham trilogy plus the prequel? Well, I think he's uh, talking about Marvel comics uh, in Marvel general. Marvel because yeah. Marvel, Marvel had comic that... video games. <laughs> well, one, you can take the Arkham series, which also is almost probably what ten years old now, eight years at least, depending. Yeah, Arkham Knight. The... <sighs> really, yes. but like the first, at least the first ones that people actually love, the first two, um, they were still almost like eight to ten years old. Um, I know they have the little mobile game that's kind of weird, but don't really care about it. Is it Alpha Fight? I don't even know what it is. I mean, even City of uh, City of Heroes. <laughs> even the uh, I believe it's a City of Heroes shut down like last year. Yeah. And I mean, as far as like, I mean, obviously we got a Spider-Man game for like you know exclusive, so obviously we can cut the gaming population like in half because you know we don't care about the other people. But as far as anything else, there's not been anything where we get like just outside of like, I mean, have you seen X-Men in anything really? Have you seen Iron Man? I mean, Thor, Polk, Fantastic Four, really in any other game outside of maybe the mobile game in probably like at least 10 years or so? I mean, I will say this, like the most comic booky video game I feel like I've played was Ultimate Alliance. Yeah, and, that and I got is- so many good feel. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like that came out during like the heyday of like Marvel video games, like X Men Legends, all of the Ultimate Alliance games, and then the variants on that same game type. Like it was like amazing couch co op play, and like, yeah, I, I felt super stanny. I just know for producing four comic books uh, movies in Marvel alone, like a year, the fact that we've gotten like very few games is kind of disappointing. Lizzie, um, when I think of Stan. Outside of Spider-Man, because I feel like everybody says Spider-Man, I think it was cameos. It is just so adorable to me that he did that and he cared so much about these properties and these movies that, you know, he he gets to share in a little piece and he's kind of forever memorialized that way, too. Um, I really liked his recent cameo in the Spider-Man game because, mm-hmm. like, with uh, Peter and MJ... They're broken up at the time, but they go get dinner, and Stan is, like, the owner of the diner, and he says to M-Day, oh, it's nice seeing you guys back together, and it's just really cute. Aww. That's a, that's adorable. Yeah. Um, so, for me, um, I just think of, like, the purest, like, hope and, like, joy like, in that, that Stan Lee, like, he was never, like, you never saw the man have a bad day. And I know that a lot of that has to do with, like, marketing. And, like, he was, and we'll talk about it in the episode, he was the face of Marvel. And he was really good at that. Um, but the message that he leaves behind is Excelsior. And it's, you know, always onward. And 
and it's I don't know just there was something that no matter how dark and broken his characters got they were still able to show like great triumph in the end and there was like just this hope and joy that came from him that like it felt like no matter how bad things got like Stan's personality was always happy and up and like he saw the good in it and I struggle to see the good in things a lot of time um so that's what I think about and of course like all of his characters and the x-men like honestly like the x-men for me I had to try and make things concise otherwise we would be here for like Stan Lee part five um which the man deserves but that's for a different podcast Stan Lee was born Stan Lee Martin Lieber on December 28th, 1922, and he was an American comic book writer, editor, and publisher who was active from the 1940s all the way to before he died. Um, he rose through the ranks of a family-run business to become Marvel's comics primary creative leader for two decades, leading its expansion from a small division of a publishing house to a multimedia corporation that dominated the comics industry. In collaborations with others at Marvel, particularly co-writers and artists like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, um, he co-created numerous popular fictional characters, including superheroes, Spider-Man, like we said, X-Men, Iron Man, the Hulk, the Fantastic Four, Black Panther, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, the Scarlet Witch, and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, in doing so, he pioneered a more naturalistic approach to writing superhero comics in the 1960s and the 70s, and he challenged restrictions for the Comics Code Authority, indirectly leading to changes in its policies. In the 1980s, he pursued development of Marvel properties and other media, and following his retirement from Marvel in the 1990s, he still remained a public figurehead for the company and frequently made cameo appearances in films based on Marvel characters. Um, and he even got honorary executive producer credits on the films. Meanwhile, he did continue his own independent creative ventures in both the 90s and the 2010s. He has his own convention called Comic Kazi, um, which he made appearances up until this last year. And his comic, uh, his comic company slash entertainment, um, entertainment studio called POW, um, which did a whole bunch of like indie comics and some stuff you wouldn't think of. Fun fact, and this is a fun fact for everybody feeling like they're missing Stan Lee. Um, do you remember that show on Spike TV called Stripperella? Yes. Sort of. Stan Lee created that. Oh, no shit. Good job, Stan. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. Tripperella and who wants to be a superhero? That's quality TV. <laughs> I thought that was a fun thing. <laughs> um, so Lee was also inducted into the comic book industry's Will Eisner Award Hall of Fame in 1994 and the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame in 1995. He also received the NEA's National Medal for the, of the Arts in 2008. Um, so he was 95 when he passed away on the 12th of this month of November. And like, I gave a brief history and a brief summary because there's just so much there. Um, and I'm just going to say it again. If you have any like fun stories or know anything about Stan Lee's personal life that you want to share, um, at us on Twitter, um, and get involved in the conversation, uh, we definitely want to hear it from you. Um, but and now I want to jump into the book why those because this is really 
this is the biggest thing. Like even beyond the life that he led, it's the legacy that he leaves that we are going to keep feeling. Um, he is one of the main people, if not the main person responsible for what comics are today um, and what heroes are today. So the first thing is the, um, the first but why though is the Marvel method. And we talked a little bit about it in our Steve Ditko episode, which uh, Lizzie was also on. Um, but, <laughs> and if you don't remember what it is, uh, the Marvel method is specifically a method of writing comics, which involves the writer and the artist talking about a broad idea. The artist then going to draw out and um, illustrate the entire comic. And then the writer comes in afterwards and then writes the comic there. So it's a type of writing style that is phenomenal. And that Marvel is known for and that is still used in the comics industry, but it also had its pitfalls. Um, so a lot of the times, a lot of illustrators did the bulk of the work in these stories and it did lead to some problems. So as a podcast, you know that we do talk about issues. Um, and one of the biggest issues that has kind of been a part of Stanley's legacy is the fact that um, they a lot of people in the comics industry from the creator side, um, as although they admire Stan, definitely acknowledge the fact that he that he ne didn't necessarily adequately adequately acknowledge um, contributions of illustrators all the time, um, especially Jack Kirby um, as he got larger. Um, Essentially, we, we also spoke about his fights that he had with Steve Ditko, which led to Ditko leaving Spider-Man and leaving Marvel. Um, and Alt Kirby also left the following year after Ditko um, for issues that he had with Stan. Um, however, uh, Kirby did return in uh, 1978 to write a Fantastic Four graphic novel, which is one of the biggest pieces of work that they both worked on together. Um, for years, the Kirby estate sought to acquire the rights to characters that Kirby and Lee had created together. Uh, Kirby's heirs were long rebuffed in court on the grounds that he had done work for hire and, in other words, sold his art without, ex without expecting royalties. Um, and this is a practice that is extremely common, but is a practice that also plagues illustrators, letterers, colorers people, co-creators on comics that don't have the largest voice as, say, um, the writer or the most known on that comic. Um, but enough of the enough of the bad. One of the biggest things, and this is one of my favorite but why those, um, that Stanley did was he reshaped American superheroes. This modern superhero of you know them being a little more human and having human qualities, Stan Lee was essential for that. Um, a lot of people classify it as the Marvel Revolution. Um, so once Marvel comes into the stage as a big heavyweight against DC, because through the Golden and most of the Silver Age, DC was essentially Hollywood and everybody else was an indie comic. Um, but when Stan Lee ends up coming up in Marvel, he ends up making it um, a contender. 
Um, so Stan will be remembered most for creating characters that were more human than superhuman. And in the late 1950s, DC Comics editor Julia Schwartz revived the superhero archetype and experienced a significant success with its updated version of The Flash and later with the super team uh, Justice League of America. In response to this, publisher Martin Goodman assigned Lee to come up with a new superhero team. Lee's wife suggested that he experiment with stories he preferred since he was planning on changing careers and pretty much had nothing to lose. Lee acted on this advice, giving his superheroes a flawed humanity, a change from the ideal archetypes that were typically written for preteens. Before this, most superheroes were idealistically perfect people with no serious lasting problems. Lee introduced complex naturalistic characters who could have bad tempers, bits of depression, and vanity. They bickered amongst themselves, worried about paying their bills and impressing their girlfriends, got bored, and were even sometimes physically ill. And I think the biggest piece into this into this as well is if you look at a lot of the characters that Stanley created, almost every one of them has an arc where they're outsiders, where they're othered, and where they're hated by people that they're supposed to protect. Um, it happens with the thing in the Fantastic Four, it happens in the X-Men, it happens in Spider-Man, it happens throughout the Marvel canon where his hand touched. And that is something that has resonated with comic readers um, till now. It's one of the reasons why I loved the X-Men. Um, they struggled and they fought and it wasn't easy for them. He worked to move the narratives away from just children and reflect readers who had grown up to be teenagers and adults. So understand comics stop being a child's thing and they start being a real medium that adults can go and read and as much as it's escapism also see themselves in the troubles that are happening they had teen angst and they were jealous and all the other things that i mentioned and ultimately, although Stan didn't create Marvel, he did rebrand it. He revived characters from the Golden Age, like Cap and the Human Torch, who ended up being the juggernaut. Well, not necessarily Human Torch, but Captain America, who ended up being a juggernaut. Like, he took Cap from almost to war propaganda and made him into a man, a man out of time, a man with personality and problems and beyond just the cool things that he did on the paper. And that's, that's no disrespect to Kirby. Um, because as you heard in our Captain America episode, Captain America has a long, long, long history of being a great character and reflecting the realities of the world. Um, and another way that he did this was he gave heroes real cities. Um, so <laughs> Jack uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee situated their heroes in New York because they were both from New York. Um, and that did that went a long way to try and create a world that was like what was outside, what they saw, and help bring that element of realness. And it was something that comics weren't doing at that time. <laughs> I, I, I love the humanity in Stan's characters. Um, I don't remember who it was, but someone said... It was actually a quote about the supernatural fandom, but I kind of took it, and it was that we like to see our characters broken. And as someone who's disabled, I don't like the word broken, but I do agree with the idea of it, because we like to see our characters struggle, and we like to see our characters struggle like we struggle. And the most important part of what Stan did is his characters struggled a lot, 
but it never defeated them. And that's a really important thing to see um, for any human to see. I mean, we all love underdog stories and a lot of my favorite characters are underdogs. I mean, Spider-Man is an underdog. (laughs) He's poor and sometimes he just does really stupid things. Like he's an underdog. Um, So I, I think that human, I can't imagine what, even if you even if you look at DC comics, I can't imagine DC comics without the element that Stan added just to the industry itself. Like I'm, a lot of people know that I, traditionally I I read more DC comics than I do Marvel, but my favorite DC comics are very human. Like they're they're emotional human stories, and that I don't know if that would have been told without Stan first telling his version of the emotional human story. So I, 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 I thank him for that. You know, I, there's when I, when the day he died, like I'm going to start tearing up, but there were so many people who were talking about, like, they don't know if they'd be alive without comics and they don't know. And it's just like, I, I, I get that, you know, because sometimes you go through really difficult bullcrap and you know for me it was getting sick and and comics and games is what kept me sane so i don't i don't know if i would be the person i am without stan lee and the fact that hundreds of thousands of maybe millions of twitter users and people just around the world have that same sentiment is really odd but also really beautiful like i i don't know if there's that many people on the planet who can say that they have touched that many lives yeah no i completely agree with you i mean like the fact that the x-men were and i talked about on our x-men episode just like the x-men were a group of people who made the conscious choice to save people who hated them who woke up every day and made the choice to keep going. And like, that's, that's really big. And that was something up until he started coming and, and like, and you can reduce it to a marketing thing, right? Like people yeah. like seeing themselves and, and Stan was a marketer. He was a damn good hype man and marketer, but it's also a realness that like, I personally, like, that's the reason I don't like a lot of early Superman. Like, I don't think I like any Superman comics before like the nineties. Maybe sure. like midnight is up because there's an element of realness that is gone or not there. Yeah. You know? Um, I know Matt and Adrian, we've talked about like antiheroes before and stuff. I mean, what do you guys think about like this brand of superhero? I don't want to follow up, Lizzie. Did you just hear that amazing <laughs> soliloquy she just went on? <laughs> Jesus, H. Um, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat it, um, following like a lot of the same sentiments that you guys just laid out. Like uh, I've always been more of a, a Marvel a Marvel fan. That's what I read more of growing up and mainly because of the more human aspects of it. And now that I'm thinking about it, it might even just be like the simple thing of having them in like our world, like New York. I don't know like, why that feels more connected, even though like they're still fantasy worlds. Like I just always, I always thought of Metropolis as like this, just this other you know, like worldly kind of city, even though like there's parallels to it in our world. Um, so it's like, it's little things like that. Like by putting those cities in there gives it that act and um, added extra sense of 
not I mean not that I think some spider's gonna bite me and I'm gonna you know become Spider Man. Listen, uh, I got a spider bite, and I'm still waiting on my stupid superpowers. I got a skin graft for that dumb bite, and I don't get any superpowers. <laughs> but it, it's it's just like having like like the New York incident in our our MCU and like the the Netflix universe. Like that makes it more connected than watching Barry Allen mess up the timeline again in the CW verse. Because I'm like, oh, who cares about their and Diggle's baby randomly changed, and that was the only thing Arrow felt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it just just doesn't feel. It feels more connected having it in like our world, and I never really thought about it until you know you just brought it up. Um, yeah, I mean, just, Lizzie always coming on the podcast, one up people <laughs> with her amazing connective tissue to her real life and whatnot. Jesus, it's like, it's like tissue, this. like the connective tissue from the Steve Ditko episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like the stuff matters or something. <laughs> Matt? I always found it interesting that everybody was always on the East Coast and that nobody seemed to care about the West Coast. That's not yeah. true. West Coast Avengers. Nobody cares about them either. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 That's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I care about them individually? Sure. Cool. But no, uh, the real, the real city... You care about Tigra? You sure? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's better than the space people, but hey, 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 <laughs> hey. Space. Okay, sorry. But uh, no, I've always thought the the having real cities was actually very nice. Kind of like how Adrian said, what because you can like see it within our world, even though it just kind of felt weird because it was kind of like, except they were all in New York, and it was just weird that like everybody just happens to get powers or something in New York, and then we all stay in New York and. Because New York is like the only city where somebody can have superpowers and nobody on the subway is going to be bothered. Because nobody cares. Yeah, nobody, (laughs) we don't care about Boston or any of the other parts of the East Coast. It's only New York. And so that was always weird that it was like everything. Because it was cool because it obviously looked at like Gotham and Metropolis and you're like, oh, this is, you know, these weird utopian type cities, especially the way they had drawn and built. But it was just kind of like, we only cared about New York. Which, I mean, I think is a credit to the fact that the majority of our comic memories and the majority of our heroes were written by two Jews from New York. Yeah. And so that is what, that is what we got, you know? Like, they were New Yorkers through and through. Um, And I think... Sorry, Well, I was going to say, it's really interesting. Like, I remember the first time I went to New York, it was the same year uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man came out. I think it was the, I think it was the second one. Um, the first time I'd ever been to New York as a child. And I remember passing the pizza place that Spider-Man uh, delivers. And, and still to this day, they have like a giant sign that says, as seen in Spider-Man 2. And that is amazing. Sometimes, sometimes when you think of New York, like you just think of Spider-Man. And even while playing like the Spider-Man PlayStation game, I remember people on, on Twitter who were like New Yorkers. And they were like, there was one guy, he literally, he was spider-man on a building and he looked outside and it was the exact same building um which is credits to insomniac but it's also just credits to the fact that like spider-man is as new york as like the statue of liberty yeah like i'm not gonna lie when i hear hell's kitchen as a geographic location i think of daredevil that's the first thing and like that's the only thing um like 
and I think, and I, I'm going to skip to, I'm going to skip the next piece about why those could go directly into the next one. Um, because um, Stanley was really pivotal in pushing for diversity and inclusion in comics. And a lot of it ha came from his identity as a New Yorker. And a lot of it came from his identity as a Jewish man in New York. And it was the same for Jack Kirby. Like these were guys who knew hardship, who knew bigotry, who knew what it meant to be othered, but also lived in a city that was extremely diverse. And when it came to comics, a lot of the firsts for Marvel are under Stan Lee. Um, he had Black Panther was the first black character in comics. The X-Men were an entirely group that is famously known for being an allegory for the civil rights movement, specifically reflecting the ideas of Dr. King in uh, Charles Xavier and making Magneto um, analogous for Malcolm X in how they tackle, you know, being treated the way they do. Um, and it's become an allegory that's used like beyond just the civil rights movement and moved into other um, other spheres of identity, right? Like the LGBTQ community has also used this as you know as a way for you know to explore those issues. Um, Marvel the has community as well have used X Men not just because of Professor Xavier, but like I remember I tweeted one day I was like I want there to be an X Men like character with just extreme chronic pain, but she can pass it on through touch, like rogue almost and i remember the amount of this idea i want this idea so like i i i know that that within the disabled community a lot of people feel that because there is kind of this idea of like i'm different you know i'm but i'm also okay with it like i'm really happy with my limitations i wish you would also be happy with my limitations um and i think that's that's a really beautiful sentiment that yeah. the x-men gave us i mean and it's something that like and we have an X-Men episode. It's episode four. Um, we should probably do a revisit because there's a lot we missed. Um, but, like, for me, like, the X-Men, like, like I said already, like, it taught me how to deal with being another, you know, or being othered in the space where, like, it wasn't really accepted. And I know a lot of people see that and gravitated towards it. Um, he also included, um, I had... The name of the yeah so he also created robbie robertson in the amazing spider-man number 51 um and this was the first time a black character was in comics and played a um uh, in comics as like a, a, a supporting role like a serious supporting role right like it what he wasn't just in the background he you know that was also important um, and then Stan Lee was also behind the creation of the Falcon, which is the first African-American, the first black American superhero um, who showed up in Captain America 117. Why did he make his suit so terrible, though? He was not the <laughs> illustrator, Matt. <laughs> Goldman was. <laughs> I, I love his suit now, but oh, man. that was You that, don't like that, that DB? No, that ugly colors. DB. Listen, oh. the Falcon and Disco dress? Wing. <laughs> Falcon and Disco Wing from Nightwing DB would have been friends. I'm not gonna lie, you know Anthony Mackie could rock that old Falcon. Anthony Mackie was upset that his costume was not that. 
right? <sighs> in the first, in the winter, winter soldier movie, he literally has said on record that he is upset that he doesn't get to wear spandex and a deep V. And I was like, <laughs> props, props, Anthony. All I think about is the, um, Big Brother on Robot Chicken when he's like, "What? Oh, I got this stupid costume with these wings. I can't even fly. <laughs> can't even fly." <sighs> but I mean, like, and and this is one of those things that when you think about it, like, this is work that Stan was doing in the '60s, like in the late '50s into the you know early and mid '60s. Like, this was at the height of where, like, talking about this stuff, people didn't want to hear. It. People were trying to ignore the fact that there were still be people being lynched in the South. People wanted to ignore the fact that people were fighting for basic rights. And as small as a platform that you think comics are, it everybody deserves that avenue to escape into and everybody deserves to be represented. And that's something that like Stan Lee believed and talked about and lived. Like, And he didn't want pats on the back for it. He just did it which is phenomenal. And one of the coolest things too is under POW, he he also, uh, he published so many diverse superheroes. When it was his own comics line, he did whatever he wanted. Um, one of the ones that went around a lot was um, an Indian superhero that he had made. And after his passing, some... I shared it, and I know a lot of people shared it on Twitter, but um, Stan used to have these things called Stan Soapbox, where he would just, a little panel where he'd go off and he'd talk about things. Um, and this is what he said way back when. Let's say it right on the line. Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. But unlike a team of costume supervillains, they can't be halted with a punch in the snoot or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them, to reveal them for the insidious evils that they really are. The bigot is an unreasoning hater. One who, he's using hater before it was cool, guys. Just want to point that out. He um, made it cool. <laughs> that was Stan, too. Um, one who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. If his hangup is black men, he hates all black men. If a redhead once offended him, he hates all redheads. If some foreigner beat him to a job, he's down on all foreigners. He hates people he's never seen, people he's never known, with equal intensity, with equal venom. Now, we're not trying to say it's unreasonable for one human being to bug another, but although anyone has the right to dislike another individual, it's totally irrational, patently insane, to condemn an entire race, to despise an entire nation, to vilify an entire religion. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later, if man is ever to be worthy of his, of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance. For then, and only then, we'll be truly worthy. Though That's really powerful. When you look at the state of comics and, like, comics gate and all this stuff that's going on that's saying that like oh well calling for diversity in comics is new it's like no it's not it it's been here for so long and stan was a champion of that um and most recently what he had uh he had released another quote and i'm gonna i'm gonna play it now and so i'll cut it from the audio and play it here but it was he had this idea of like the body of marvel like the Marvel as like the Marvel universe wasn't movies or comic books. It was the readers and the audience and the watchers. And 
He said Marvel, Marvel has, has always, always been, been and, always, and will be. always will be a reflection of the world right outside our window. That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change is the way we tell our stories of heroism. Those stories have room for everyone, regardless of their race, gender, religion, or color of their skin. The only things we don't have room for are hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. And that kid walking by, hey, who knows? He may have the proportionate strength of a spider. We're all part of one big family, the human family, and we all come together in the body of Marvel. And you, you're part of that family. You're part of the Marvel universe that moves ever upward and onward to greater glory. In other words, Excelsior. And this is something that, like, once Stan introduced characters like Black Panther, and once he started changing what characters look like, once he started putting people in masks, and, and Stan's idea behind masks is if you put a superhero in a mask, anybody can be under there. Any kid can wear that mask and be that superhero. They don't have to look like them. And that was one of the reasons why he wanted to cover Peter's face so much um, as Spider-Man. And then DC picked it up and they started doing that. And then indie comic creators are doing it and making their own stories. And you have this beautiful world that was pushed for. And I, I, I think we would have eventually gotten here, but we wouldn't have gotten here at the pace that we have without Stan pushing it in the 60s. Um, and that's like one of the biggest but why those. I mean, all of these are big but why those. I've said that for every single one. But like, damn, this man did so much. I think it's really important, especially considering, I mean, it's it's slowly dying, but the fact that it was there, the state of the industry, it's important to remember our roots and it's important to remember that comics and art is always going to be political. And when I say political, I don't mean, you know, liberal versus conservative. I mean the fact in when Aristotle founded the idea of politics, he said politics is the greatest science because everything is affected by politics. The science we study, the food we eat, whatever it is, it is affected by politics. Um, politics is as minuscule as the road you are walking on and the taxes you pay. And in that regard, art will always be political and good art reflects society and more importantly, can sometimes make us uncomfortable. And I appreciate stories that make us uncomfortable. Um, you know, sometimes I've I've read things in the past and, and, and I don't like it at first and I put it down. And then I realize the reason I don't like it is because that character is flawed in the ways that I am. And it, it makes you reevaluate yourself and it makes you, you know, kind of open your eyes a little bit. And that's what, that's what books do. That's what art does. It, it shows you ideas and, and a worldview into someone who isn't you. And, and that's just important for being human. And sometimes it's, it's good to see maybe a side that you don't agree with to either further your own beliefs or to kind of understand that maybe I was wrong. Um, and I think they're very important for that. Adrian, Matt? 
Nope. 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 What? What Lizzie said. I realize in the middle of my monologue, Matt was Matt and Adrian were gonna be like, I don't want to follow this. <laughs> <laughs> but it is yeah. a perfect segue into the next. But why though? Which yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Which you're is just, that? You're just, you're just you're just too deep, Lizzie. You're just amazing. So I just All don't right. want to. I'm not gonna <laughs> be like, go well, Stan Lee's awesome. Well, yeah, well, no shit. Been like... <laughs> I'm over here quoting Aristotle. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, the next but why there was comics in real life um, in the 70s um, Stan Lee kind of like unintentionally I think it was intentional but he he took up this this pretty much this fight with the comics code um, because he he saw that comics needed to reflect real life in order in order to get readers to come in and to spend their money on Marvel but also to have them invest themselves in these characters like people go back to read a character over and over again if they see themselves in it if they can identify with it and because of that but like in that vein Stanley in 1971 helped reform the comics code because the US Department of Health Education and Welfare asked Stanley to write a comic book story about the dangers of drug use and because of this Stan conceived of a three issue subplot in The Amazing Spider-Man in which Peter Parker's best friend becomes addicted to prescription drugs. Now, the Comics Code Authority refused to grant its seal of approval for these issues because the stories depicted drug use. The anti-drug context was considered irrelevant. With Goodman's cooperation and confident that the original government requests would give him credibility, Lee had the story published without the seal. So, like, to set the tone for this, like, this is at a time where the the comics code, it, the comics code authority does not seal your book. You are, like, not really seen as something that can be carried in a store. Um... And Stan, Stan Lee just said, well, I'm going to publish it anyway, because <laughs> he's Stan Lee. Um, and the comic sold really well and ended up winning Marvel praise for being socially conscious. Um, and this was really unheard of. And the Comics Code Authority subsequently loosened the code to permit negative depictions of drug, of drugs along with other new freedoms. So for the Comics Code Authority for the longest time, outlawed talking about really anything that was relevant to real life. Um, and Stan really helped push this away. Um, he also supported using comic books to provide some measure of social commentary. As we just talked about, Stan's soapbox really helped him talk about issues in the real world, often around racism and bigotry. And besides promoting the upcoming comic book, uh, comic book project, he also was trying to make a positive impact on his readers. Um, his amazing Spider-Man run with John Romita Sr. after uh, Ditko had left ended up covering student activism, the Vietnam War, elections, and even prisoner rights. Like, it was a completely different thing in comics at the time. Like, we had a realness to it. Um, and beyond that, like, the next but why, though, is that this is the Marvel brand. Like, this is something that Marvel becomes known for, and it's synonymous with Stan. This is the Marvel brand, and the Marvel brand is Stan Lee, which is why they kept him on as like honorary credits and used his face all the time, even after he was running his own company 
and producing comics that weren't Marvel. Like that is something huge. A lot of the times they don't let you do that ever. They don't, they try not to keep that. Um, and the other thing that he's really, really known for is like this idea of like comic fandom um, for better or for worse happened because of Stan. So DC, when they were putting out their comics, they had letters columns, which included um, an address and stuff to send mail to correspond with authors or, and not necessarily correspond. I think it was more one way, like everybody would send their stuff to them and then the authors would kind of do a generic response, right? It wasn't really, it was kind of talking down to and Stan made it a giant point to create a, a fandom around Marvel that a fan club around Marvel that made everybody seem as equals. He never talked down to his audience most of the time. And like, he prided himself on trying not to. And if he did, it was almost always unintentional. Um, this was again, because Stan was a marketer. And if you feel like you're a part of something larger, you're going to give it your money, but also because he cared about building a community around what he was doing. I do want to say something yeah. in regards to just marketing in general, since that outside of comics, that is something I do in real life. <laughs> um, when you market something with the passion that Stan Lee does, you have to give a crap about it. Because I've marketed 112 things that I don't give a crap yeah. about, and it's really hard to have that passion. So that passion is not fake. Yeah, no. Real. Not Come at on. all. And so is it the exact number of 112? I'm, I'm going I'm to jump through here and hurt you. <laughs> yes, no, I've sent 112 <laughs> tweets. I'm sure of it. <laughs> no, I mean, but like, why though alone? <laughs> and I care about all of them. No, like I completely agree. Like, there's like trying. Have you worked retail when I was younger? Like, I didn't give a crap about anything, and you can tell. Like, you can tell when people are being fake. But there was a love and a passion behind everything that Stan did and that's one of the things like when you look at him as the face of Marvel and as a piece of the Marvel brand like he was a good marketer yes but it came from a real place um so I don't mean to say marketer to like discredit him or anything but like this is really the reason why Marvel became what it did no for sure I just wanted to make things. sure people didn't think it oh was yeah definitely thank sometimes you people that. think like salesmen and you know they think used car and it's like but if you really care about that used car you know? Well, why do you think brands now care more about social media people using their stuff and will go to you if you already use it over somebody who just wants it? It's, it's authenticity. Because, exactly. People and care. Stan had it in, in bucket loads and they knew that. Yep. And that's, that's not easy to get <laughs> by any means. Yeah. I mean, and like beyond this, like Stan also introduced the practice of regularly including a credit panel on the splash page of each story, naming not just the writer and the penciler, but also the inker and the letter, which is really big. That's huge. I mean, to this day, I mean, Lizzie yells at me all the time if I forget a letter who was very, very small on a book jacket, which I totally didn't mean to do. But <laughs> because a lot of the times people give the big, like the big, the writer and the illustrator the credit, but there are a whole bunch, there's an entire team that goes into comic creation. Um, and getting credit to those people as much as there, there, like I said earlier, there was issues on characters that Stan co-created with people getting the right, you know, the right acknowledgement. Um, this was big in getting everybody credit within the comic itself. Um, 
He also included regular news about Marvel staff members and upcoming storylines presented on bullpen bulletins page, which like the letter columns appeared in each every title um, and was written in a friendly chatty style. So he did this to create like a transparency or a window in like you felt like you were part of that Marvel creative process. Um, Lee remarked that his goal was for fans to think of the comic creators as friends and considered it a mark of his success on this front that at a time when letters to other comics comics publishers were typically addressed dear editor letters to marvel addressed the creators by their first name e.g dear stan and jack Lee recorded messages to the newly formed Mary Marvel Marching Society fan club. I love that name, by the way, in 1965. And by 1967, the brand was well enough ensconed in popular culture that on March 3rd of that year, WBAI radio program with Lee and Kirby as guests was titled, Will Success Spoil Spider-Man? Um, so like there was so much of the secret sauce of like what made Marvel great and all of that came from Stan and this idea of fandom around comics and how we think about it now came from him, but there's a problem to that. Stan is also very much responsible for Marvel versus insert other comic industry. Yeah. Um, which is which one is of the hilarious. unhealthy parts of comic books. Um, um, I will say, I saw Stan at a panel during Megacon, and one of the people on the panel was Jimmy Palminati, who is mostly known right at the moment for just having done Harley Quinn from New 52 to his end of Rebirth with him and his wife, Amanda Connor. Um, I've met both of them. They're lovely human beings. But <laughs> Stan just gave Jimmy so much crap for working for DC. And like, it was clearly in jest, but it was freaking hilarious. <laughs> like Stanley, I, I saw him and I mean, he was 92 at the time. He's hilarious. That man is that he was just charismatic as all heck. Um, but he did prod. He stirred the pot. Oh, yeah. That man oh, created dude. the pot. That all man created the pot, he created the soup recipe, and he stirred it all day long. He, he was at the pottery table, he made his pot, he put it in his roux, and he just stirred up yep. that, that gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, I mean, it is definitely a big problem, um, and it's one of the reasons why you have a lot of fights. Um, and I don't even want to say just on Twitter, like, I've seen this stuff happen at conventions oh, for sure. where Marvel and DC fans go at each other. And a lot of that has to do with the, like, as great as it was to be a Marvel fan that created this idea and this identity of a Marvelite, in a sense, it also created the somebody being outside of it. Um, and a lot of that times that ended up being DC. Yeah, I wanted to mention it pretty early on when you were talking about how, like, Stan finally gave people, like, the avenue to talk about these comics in a much, like, broader sense of, like, it's not just for kids anymore. It's also, like, a terrible thing if you look on Twitter um, <laughs> when grown people just say this the most ridiculous things and, like, mean things to people over about over comics. So it's, like, a good and bad thing. 
Um, Kate and I have never had that happen to us. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's also never. that's also why I didn't want to bring it up, just because uh, you, know, <laughs> you know Matt's been called a racist as well uh, for his his comic book takes. Like it's it just like as good as it is, it also let people be mean, which is which isn't very fun. Yeah, and it usually and it so like there's like this exclusivity that you kind of feel like a little bit, right? Like it, it's and I don't want to say exclusivity. That's probably not the right word, but because of how you mean like how Sony people are with their Spider-Man game? Ooh. <laughs> Is that for me? Is that for me? <laughs> you serving me up some gluten-free tea right now? <laughs> Insert shots what... fired gift. <laughs> what I mean to say is this type of uh, one-on-one, right? Like this one-to-one, this dear Stan, dear Jack, this closeness that Stan built with creators and characters. It also made people feel highly invested, which gives us this culture that like reacts terribly to things that change. And I mean, and, and that's a byproduct. Like that's not Stan's fault. Like what Stan did was beautiful. Now, pity Marvel against DC was Stan's fault, but... <laughs> <laughs> the other stuff, they're just byproducts of everything that's happened. But that is to say, Stan's actions has set the stage of what comic fandom is now, um, which is really crazy to think about. I do think it, it's really interesting that, like, I mean, I'm sure they got troll letters. Like, those people oh, they will always advance, you know, but now it's so much easier because you don't have to send a letter to a mail. You can just send a tweet um, and Twitter's not going to do anything. Because mm-hmm. sure, um, but in that same vein, um, outside of the Marvel versus DC, uh, I think for the most part, at least in my life, fandom has been for the better. Yeah. Um, I've met a lot of amazing people through fandom, including everybody in this conversation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, and I've also met a lot of. I've had a lot of really cool moments with creators, um, yeah. thanks to. Twitter. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Stan didn't create Twitter, but the idea of that Stan created everything. <laughs> did he create Stan Twitter? No, nobody. No. Burn that down. Um, Eminem did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I, I've recently, you know, I if I tweet out a review I write for the site, uh, if it's if it's a positive review, oftentimes or not, you know, artists, letters, whoever it may be, will thank me. Um, it's I mean, just I a have, really cool feeling. Like I, I was, I've able to build like a genuine, like you know, kind of like I guess Twitter friendship, you know, with Eric Esquivel, who we've had on the podcast before, the co-creator and writer for yeah. Border Town, like my favorite comic right now. Um, like there's this accessibility, which is phenomenal. And I know that Stan loved that. That's why he was recording videos on his Twitter account. Um, yeah. He wanted to have that one-on-one, um, which I think you're right. As much as it can be bad, like there's so much good that comes out of it. And I don't want to downplay anybody who's experienced any type of like debilitating harassment like that. That's yeah. us. And if you have to leave social networks, I'm, I'm never going to judge you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Steve Dicko hated being around people. Like oh, this, sure. this entire thing that, like, that's also like as much as Dicko had issues with Stan um, and the writing process, he also just didn't like this light that Stan wanted to put on his project and yeah. him and that. You know, it's a lot it's of pressure. Understandable. 
it's a lot of pressure and I can understand that. I, I, I know that you met Stan. I haven't gotten, I never got to meet Stan. Um, but I know I've met some of my comic heroes and it's really cool. It's Um, amazing. And he lived up to it. Yeah. I, I remember meeting Jim Lee and he, I was wearing a Batman necklace and he loved my Batman necklace as he was signing the copy. I had three copies of Batman Hush and he commented on it and I was like, but what if one gets wrinkled? I don't know. <laughs> he was like, okay. Um, I met Tom King who laughed so, at so many of my jokes. He followed me back on Twitter. Like it, it's, it's just, there's been a lot of cool moments. And I think even though I didn't get to meet Stan, I think Stan in some way is responsible for those moments because we are kind of one big comic family who apparently sometimes hates each other. So but, a real you know, family. Yeah. So a real family. <laughs> Thanksgiving did just happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do want to say too, as much as there was this stoking of the fire between him and DC, Stanley can say that he did write for he DC in he the wrote. 2000s. He wrote he Wayne wrote, Bruce. Yep. <laughs> he wrote... Um, the Just Imagine series for DC in the 2000s where he reimagined DC superheroes, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, The Flash, and Aquaman. Um, and they're super cool. Um, actually, his name was Wayne Williams. That was Batman. I call he, it Wayne he, Bruce. <laughs> he looks more like Man Bat. Um, his Wonder Woman was Maria Mendoza. Like... He and she looks badass, by the way. She has like this really cool, like, scepter thing that looks dope. Um, his Superman was Solden, and he was a former police officer. Um, the Flash looks super cool. And if you want to click in that, that link that I have in the Google Doc, like, you can see all these pictures, and I'll post them, um, in the show notes. Aquaman is also just a man made out of water which looks super cool. Like essentially take what you know that Stanley does, which is really literal. And that's kind of what these heroes are. Yeah. Uh, I was going to, I was going to call him by what Lizzie said. Wayne Bruce? That, Wayne Bruce just sounds Wayne better. It, <laughs> saying it out loud. But if you haven't seen it, like Wayne Williams, I, I always thought looked better than actual man bat. Like I would want to see Bruce Wayne fight. Yeah, and Sam, he he also had a cameo in the uh, the Teen Titans animated movie, which he I did, did not expect. I loved that. I did not expect that, but that just shows you how big Stan was that he he can he can cross the streams multiple times during his career, no matter how much he made and stirred the pot. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that that was a super cool fun fact, and I I want everybody to look at these pictures in our show notes in our show notes on butwhythepodcast dot com. Um, they're they're awesome. Um, or just look up Just Imagine, which was a series. So you have a bat, they have Batman, and then you have Stan Lee's signature on top of it. And those are the covers. Um, but it was great. Um, like lastly, the MCU. Um, that's the other but why though, because the MCU is the most profitable movie franchise in existence. At but at this, this point, we're going to come down to if most profitable based on how many movies they have or per this movie. Pretty sure. Yeah. But they're all good movies. <laughs> sure. There are a few duds. There's a few duds. But no, but they've had almost more double than oh. almost any other franchise now. Because before, it was kind of like you're making a lot of money and you know, you have the same amount. Thor was a late bloomer. It just took him three movies. <laughs> but, Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you mean you are right. Like, they are more than Star Wars, but they also have 20 movies out right now, and Star Wars has eight. But I also think, I, 
I think it's really important outside of the money the MCU has made. Come on, they only have really eight? Important. That's not right. Oh, did no. You, really eight, did, eight, you just eight, straight yeah, up cut off some movies. Rogue One and Solo, 10. Outside of just talking money, it's really important to note the impact the MCU has had on comics because I know quite a few comic readers, at least within my own generation, who started reading comics after watching a superhero movie. Oh yeah. I mean, and Um, I just mentioned it first because that's honestly like, you wouldn't have like this type of success without Stan Lee championing even the bad ones. Yes. Which I think the MCU has made C-level characters just, you know, better than, you know, their grade A ones because they sold their grade A ones. Um, (laughs) But I I think it's a, it's just really freaking cool to see people who are like, I watched this. I mean, that's, I didn't read comics as a child and mind you i went into comics before mcu because i i left the dark knight and i was like i've always loved batman i should just start reading batman but i mean i would leave i left the guardians movie and i was like i don't know jack about these characters i'm gonna pick up a comic and i did that's a cool thing yeah i mean and i think the other cool thing too is like and it's one of the reasons why he loved it loved adaptations happening was that like it also provides like this entire new avenue for people who don't like reading comics to get into these characters and experience these stories in a self-contained universe you know and and feel like this love for them and that's why you champion them so so hard um and this is also i mean we've mentioned cameos before but this is also why a lot of younger fans know what stan lee looks like because of all of his cameos um and alfred hitchcock was what it's been referred to because Alfred Hitchcock used to cameo in all of his stuff. Um, But now it's firmly Stan Lee um, because he literally cameos in everything that he can. Do you know Uh, who else cameos in all their stuff traditionally? Guillermo del Toro? Yes, but also the Russo brothers have started. Oh, that's nice. They'll usually be extras in the background. They won't have like a Stan cameo where they have like an actual – um, you know, line, but they're usually extras in the background on a scene. Because yeah. I remember that was one of my favorite things in the Spider-Man movies. It's like, oh, stand. Um, it's one of those things that really just kind of solidifies what Stan is. Like, Stan is more than just an editor or a writer or a marketer or a creator, like he's immortalized in everything. And in a lot of ways, he is a comic book character. If you think about it, I mean, he was doing cameos in comics before the movies were coming out. Um, A lot of them too. Um, So as we start to wrap up, I think it's important to just kind of like take a moment and while you're listening to this, just think about the first time like you realized who Stan Lee was. Um, and just think about like the impact he's had on, even if it's not you personally, but on your consumption of popular culture, on the heroes you like, on the movies you watch, on the soundtracks you listen to. Um, he is felt everywhere. And that is a status that, like you said, Lizzie, in the beginning, that very few people can hit. And get to. Um, Because, yeah. (laughs) I mean, millions of people have seen something he touched. that, And and not just touched, like, built from the ground up and are probably deeply affected by it. Whether it's 
conscious or not. And that's insane. Yeah. To, to think about the reach of that. I think the cool thing about those cameos and I mean, obviously none of us really knew Stan personally, but whenever, you know, a famous person dies, it's always that feeling of you kind of feel like you knew them because they did impact you, even if they didn't know it. Um, but those cameos are almost like, you know, the voicemail you don't want to delete because someone's gone. And it, it, yeah. it's cool that we have those. And it, it's it's cool that those are going to be there forever. And, you know, we can continue telling his story and people can see how charismatic and how funny he was because it's it's on video. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to go into some fan, but why those? Um, so first from at Nico the Aurora, uh, Spider-Man has always resonated with me, especially when my grandfather passed away. Ben Parker's death was my first real introduction to the concept of death. And when my abuelo died, I immediately thought about Peter and Ben. It was a dark time for me, but seeing what Peter went through, something similar, or that Peter went through something similar and was able to keep moving forward helped me through it. Um, next, um, from at Crusader, um, here is my Stan Lee story. I am sure it's not unique, but because he was, he was who he was, somehow it felt unique to me a son of immigrants who learned English by reading comics and watching the 1960 Spider-Man reruns. I'm forever grateful for his influence. I published my first book 10 years ago. I hand delivered a copy to Stan Lee at the New York City Marvel headquarters. Don't know if he ever got it, but I didn't need to know. That was my thank you to him. I'm getting emotional, guys. That one's gonna make me cry. Um, from at Gatsu083. Uh, Stanley matters because he was a visionary who felt like a friend, even though I never met him. He was kind and known for supporting anyone trying to get into the business. He loved his medium and loved those who truly loved it too. He showed how far a person can go chasing dreams. Uh, at Dr. Ragnarok, when I was a kid, there was an interview with Stanley about how and why he created Spider-Man, and I used to watch this all the time. The idea of anyone being behind that mask and that it's okay to make mistakes spoke volumes to me. Someone who messes up all the time. Lee helped me grow up. And then I do want to take a moment to, um, so the website, we put out a uh, a piece where all of our writers wrote something about why Stan mattered to them and how they wanted to remember him. Um, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. And they're, they're all really, really lengthy. Um, so I, I, don't, I won't have time to go into them. Um, but almost all of them ended with Excelsior. And they all talked about the importance that these characters had on them. And specifically Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man is, like, in almost every single one of I these. I know mine was Spider-Man. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and he just... final. I mean, final thoughts time so we can wrap up, but Stan Lee meant a lot. He keeps meaning a lot. Yeah, I mean... Someone on Twitter... Someone on Twitter joked with me when I, you know, I was like, I don't know who I would be without Stan Lee. And someone joked with me, and they are like, who would your cat be? And I was like, because my cat's name is Spider-Man. And I, I had like an existential crisis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, there's, I, who would we be without Stanley? 
Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know what to say other than he left us a legacy and my heart hurt when he passed, but I'm thankful for everything he gave, yeah. not just me as a Marvel reader, but like the comics world. Yeah. Adrian? Uh, I was just waiting to see if I I get in before Lily uh, Lizzie soliloquy because uh, I'm not following that up for a third time today. <laughs> so, uh, like I said at the start, like when I think of Stan Lee, I just think of just like good times, and it just sucks to, like to read all of the things that people were saying about him after he died, which is just just ridiculous, and just really shows that they didn't really know anything based on like his activism and the whole reason why he created the X Men and X Y Z. Um, so I just choose to remember him with all of like the good things he's made me feel like as a person, like we literally wouldn't be, I don't know if Kate would have been able to create this podcast without, um, Stanley. I don't know if she would be able to be, create this amazing, um, you know, team of con of content creators for, for our website without Stanley. And that's just like in our small little bubble. So just like imagine his, reach outside of just you know our little bubble it's, it's crazy like i can't think of someone who's had that big of a reach in just not just like the u.s but just like all over um and it's just really really great to see and i do want to go back and watch uh so you want to be a superhero because i just want to hear hear him say excelsior at the end of every episode and just remember him that way and i know the last cameo we see him in is going to be absolutely terrible it's going to be absolutely terrible and i'm not I'm ready for it crying. i'm not ready for it I'm, I think it's going to be like seeing, um, you know, Carrie Fisher in That's Star Wars. Exactly like it's, what I was gonna say. it's, it's mm -hmm. just not going to be fun. Um, but we're going to get get through it together as a community of people who love, though. yeah, of people who yeah. love comics, who love the MCU, Marvel, Netflix, whatever, whatever the case may be. We wouldn't be here without it. Matt. Um, we're doing final thoughts now. Yes. Okay. I was yelling at the dog. She's barking. Um, yeah, he touched a lot of people's lives. He lived a long life, and then he passed, and it's sad. And we wouldn't be doing, obviously, this episode if he didn't mean a lot for a lot of people, and obviously he did quite a bit for a lot of people. Like, I'm more emotional. I'm just an emotional person, but I think one of the things that you can't disregard is how many people felt this and the fact that like he is somebody who like deeply impacted so much of everything we consume today so yeah i don't know how to end it i'm just like yeah, we're gonna now. need a excelsior. fun episode to excelsior yeah. yeah we're gonna need a pick me up episode next week we are adrian <laughs> get on it yeah yeah um, but yeah, so um, I just want everyone to know that we kept saying Spider Man, and my cat came over, and when I said Excelsior, she licked me. <laughs> it's a sign. Lizzie, thank you for being on. And thank why you don't you tell me. everybody where they can find you? You can find me at Lizzie Lynn Garcia. Lynn is spelled L Y N N, and Lizzie is spelled with a Y because I didn't want to be Lizzie McGuire in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Did you have to spell also, Lynn without a Y? No, no, no. Lizzie is spelled L-I-Z-Z-Y, not I-E. I didn't know Lynn was spelled. With I, a Y? Okay. 
No, I thought it was always spelled no, with No, but a they lie. are spelled with like one N yeah. instead of two Ns. Mine's Those two people N. are weird then. Wow. Just just at them, why don't you? But you can at me at Lucy Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also an editor and social media manager, as well as sometimes I ramble um, on the But Why the O podcast uh, site. So you can yeah. find my ramblings there. Some are coherent. <laughs> um and you can find the podcast at but why though pc on twitter instagram and facebook and you can find us and pinterest oh yeah and pinterest that's right don't forget about our bedazzled pinterest yeah matt and i worked hard on that (laughs) and you can find all of our show notes all of our contributors and all of the other amazing podcasts we have in our family and you can find me at OMFRandier on Twitter. Adrian? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z, 93. Matt? Well, in the laws of statistics in a parallel universes and the multiple infinity universes, I might be Spider-Man in one of them. You probably will be. Probably. Oh, that gives me hope for myself. 